Welcome to The Violet Rays. This is your host, Reshma Iyafe. And today I'm speaking with Ahmed James. Welcome, Ahmed. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Thanks for asking. I'm going to open with a quote that you've inspired, which is by Malcolm X. We cannot think of being acceptable to others until we have first proven acceptable to ourselves. I really like that. And it struck me uh, for several reasons, which I'll go into afterwards. But I'd first like to ask why you've chosen that quote, if that's okay. Yeah, um, it was for many reasons. It's kind of multi-layered. Initially, when I got this quote, I thought that it's important for uh, me as a black man to improve myself so that I can become a role model to others, either my children, members of my community, other, other black people that I may know, or anybody, anybody else. But it's important to recognize my qualities and improve myself before I start to blame any industry or any individuals for my shortcomings. I've got to get myself to a standard that is, uh, is sort of respectable as for any um, individual, but more importantly for a black man. So there are there is that, but as a black male, also it's important to be able to recognize that we're dealing with a lot as black men and we have to go out there and we have to, we're dealing with toxic masculinity and all of those things. It also goes into that as well in terms of that we have to be able to address some of those issues and some of the negative stereotypes within our communities within for a black male as well. And I think that Malcolm X touched on that as well with that. And it also permeates some of the writings of um, writers like Bell Hooks when they talk about black male masculinity as well. So that's just the tip of the iceberg of some of the reasons as to why I went into that. And I think it's important for us to be able to recognize the importance within ourselves and get ourselves to a standard so that it's respectable within our community, respectable to ourselves and others as well. Beautiful, yes, thank you. Yeah, um, there's a lot in there. So um, I think the focus for me is that you use the the term sort of um, black masculinity a few times there. And, and I'm wondering um, how much of that is is archetypal and how much is stereotypical sort of, um, okay, so what, what I'm asking is, it's, you know, there's a difference between the, the archetype, the, the examples that we're going to use based on what we see and what our lived experiences are. And then there's the stereotypes, which of course are not helpful in any situation, but, but of course there will be times when people will fall upon those um, because, not fall upon, but they'll actually rest upon them deliberately because it's easier than perhaps um, really doing a, a thorough exploration of what it might be to, to be that person. So in this case, we're talking about the, the black male. So this perceived masculinity, um, what are you referring to when you use the term, please? Personally, I'm referring to the archetypal and I'm referring to the stereotypical, but I do realize that a lot of my peers are still dealing with the stereotypical, unfortunately. And really that's gonna have the most influence trying to change that stereotypical view of a black man. That's what it's about right here, right now, but I'm conscious and I'm aware of the archetypal as well. But I don't think that many of my peers, like I say, they're just not aware of that yet, of the impact of the archetypal imp- impressions of a black male is. So the, the stereotypical is what I'm focusing on and that's why I, I really do try to change that narrative about the black male. Amazing, yes, yeah. 
Okay, and so um, there is an organization that you've been working with in, in this regard. And, um, and so I'm, I've been reading about it and it's brilliant. And um, I think what I want to focus on is, is how this came about just for a few minutes and then we can move on to what the most recent project has been. So it's called the Windrush Health Group. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's um, a colleague of yours that, that started it and you seem to be the leader at the, at the current time, is that correct? Yeah, I think what had happened, I was part of an organization called Windrush Initiatives, which was is an organization which is led by an individual called Adrian Morell in Preston. And he's been doing some fabulous work. So I was a part of that. And he started up this uh, men's health group. And uh, we touched on a few things. And it was around men's health, dealing with prostate cancer, trying to encourage black men to go and take the test because of all of these negative stereotypes about What's to ha what has to happen in the process and the reluctant the reluctancy for that about going out into the outdoors going for walks and things like that but this company approached us with regards to wanting to understand black men and mental health and the links with regards to that so at that time i was i was still working with the organization but the organized the company that came in called health watch wanted to continue this piece of work so i worked with a group of black men around looking about the impact of racism and mental health, because one of the things that happened when we was going on a residential with a group of black men is that we had some peers within our community that uh, we're talking um, maybe in the late fifties and they opened up. We created a really positive environment for them to open up and discuss things. And some of them opened up. And what we found was people were carrying so much baggage for 30 years 30 years of an impact of racism that affected them in such a way that one of the individuals opened up so much, he was in, he was in floods of tears, but he couldn't stop crying. It, it was an opening. It was just such an opening. He just could not stop it. He was just crying, crying, crying profusely. And it, it, it was just so much. And it was because he'd relived that moment from 40 years ago of an impact, an incident of racism. And he's been carrying that. Now, this individual, he's gone through his own personal health, mental health journey. And at the same time, he's also suffering with, with health as well. So I, I don't know if it's contributing to the health issues, but definitely with the mental health, it did affect him. We realised that um, a lot of individuals are carrying baggage uh, with, with regards to racism. So we opened up, I, I created this for or this report so that they could share their feelings and thoughts and people would get to understand our journey. And also if we was gonna to go to the NHS, to the police, because many of these incidences of racism were in the police, just in the street, in the community and workplace as well. You know, it, 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 every part of the society had impacted them in terms of racism. And I just wanted to create this report so that agencies would be able to listen and hear the journey of a black man. And, and, and there will be many more, the, the journey of the black woman, which hasn't been done. There's a journey of a disabled black man or a disabled black woman that hasn't been done as well. And, and, and I'm sure that they have got equally more challenges, if you will. But the challenge for the black man who has to be this stereotypical, um, he, he's bringing in the innings and he has to do right by his family and all of these things, which many males have to go through as well. But for a black man, it feels as though it's even more because you have to take on this this persona and fight back against this negative stereotype as well. You know, one of the guys in one of the, he didn't say it in the report, but I know one of the guys 
in this report, he wanted to be, um, he wanted to go into ballet, but it, it, the community just wouldn't allow that. So he just couldn't do it, but it was something that he wanted to do all his life. But it, it, he understands that he has to fit the norm of a stereotype as well. And, and he, he's also struggled with that as well. Yeah. So this was the report, did you give this opening for that? Okay. All right, no, that's very, very interesting. And I, I think there'd be a lot of people that would say that, okay, this macho personality, so-called macho personality, has um, um, its origins actually possibly in the, in the full mainstream understanding of, of masculinity as opposed to just black masculinity. A lot of men from many different cultures, ethnicities, religions could say, well, actually, whatever that is, that's sort of the physical strength or the, the aggression, the hypersexuality, all of those things that sort of uh, push towards us as men, it's us too, not just you, an Asian man, let's say from Pakistan, who said that he's had this exact same experience you're talking about. Is it okay for him to own that too? Or do you think that the black man has a very specific experience that is possibly it's not a competition, but just possibly more difficult to, to ride the storm, especially in the UK. What do you think? You see, this, this is the thing, and um, I think that it's specific for the black man. The reason I will go into say that it's specific, if you look at the journey of a uh, black man in terms of, or the black community in terms of where we've come from to where we're at, there doesn't seem to be a lot of, um, it doesn't seem to be a lot of um, ownership or we're not established in society as such. We are established in one effort in terms of we're recognised in the media. So we're recognised in sport, we're recognised in, in, in media. But when it comes to certain other indices, maybe in, in education or something like that, what you'll find is that a lot of the indices right across the board will show that when it comes to finances, when it comes to education, we're still at the bottom of the food pile when it comes to those indices as well. So there are structural issues that affected that impact on the black man specifically as well. And when you look at culturally, and I did, a, I used to, I'm a youth worker, my background is youth work. Um, I'm not working in that right now because that's been decimated by the current government as such, but I am from a youth work background and I worked with a group of Pakistani men in, men in Bradford. And um, it was really interesting working with them because they all gravitate to somebody who's black as though culturally they want to be with or identify as a black man as well or have characteristics of a stereotypical black person and especially in the gym. And what I found with them is that they, they really did struggle with them. And what we did find with them is that a lot of them actually um, felt that the community, although they give this hard image of themselves, they, they actually wanted to be gay. And that this was just shared within conversation, conversation with some of them as well, but they know how the community would react with that. So it was all a persona, but the persona that they took was a black persona. So we are having to adopt a lot of these things as well as these, well as the uh, sort of indices in society in terms of we're not recognizing education, we're not recognizing maybe in science, in some of the higher sort of accolades rather than sport all the time. It gives the impression as though all we can do is run and jump. And, and this is the problem. And when you look at the journey and when you look at the recent Windrush report, the impact of that as well, it just shows that the society just, or the government, if you will, just doesn't care. But that permeates, that trickles down to schools, that trickles down to colleges, that trickles down to justice system as well. You know, you look at it right across the board, 
go and check the instances, indices and all the statistics that will indicate that there's a high representations in all of the negative factors for black people. There just doesn't seem to be a break at, at all. So the, okay. that's something that's been happening for years. And if you've seen the report, someone was being stopped over 25, maybe 30 years ago, still gets stopped now. One of them's with his Bible in his hand. He, he's never been in trouble. He gets stopped and regularly with his Bible in his hand. So what is that about? There's something specific, I'm sorry. Oh no, there's no need to be sorry. It is just um, a case of needing sometimes to hear it um, from the, the person that has had that experience as opposed to reading about it, about so-called subjects of these experiences because we have a lot of projects that come around, which as we know are really just tick box exercises that organizations have to do because they've been given the funding and all the rest of it. And so I asked these questions initially to understand that with the organization that you've been working with, um, so what is it, Health Watch? Yeah, that was Health Watch. That, that particular project was with Health Watch, um, but it did start with Wunderish um, Initiatives. Yes. So, um, so of course, they're talking about the the negative cultural stereotypes in there. Well, I'm sure it's you that's um, or your organisation that has sort of instigated the language that's used in the report. But um, so that we're looking at a focus group of of black men in the Preston area between, what is it, the age of 29 and 66? Um, yeah. Assuming that's just the range of men in the group as opposed to the focus that they wanted. The range of people that was in the group, I specifically chose them because of um, the ages and because I wanted to get a broad, a broad enough reflection because, um, you know, the, the, their, um, their journeys will be similar to the specific age groups. So that's why I wanted to get a sort of broad reflection of that age group. So from 29 to 66, I think it was, yeah. That, that's okay. right. And so um, the report is about the, the impact in a sense of, of being black on your mental health <laughs> while living in Preston, <laughs> to, you know, to, to put it um, sort of uh, into, into a very understandable sort of um, sentence, if that's okay. Um, I, would argue, I would argue that it, it probably is nationally, it's not dissimilar than nationally, but uh, okay. you know, I, I, to do, I, I really would argue that their lived experience is not dissimilar than somebody who is in London, Birmingham, and uh, Manchester. I, I would argue that it's not dissimilar. Okay. All right, good. Thank you. So, so with that in mind, one of the main things that's come out of it is the underrepresentation of um, people that look like yourselves within the system. So from government into sort of, let's say the um, people, civil servants or health mm. workers, like specifically doctors in, in the mental health infrastructure so that you could feel perhaps more understood if you were to approach them or go into that system to, to feel that you would actually be looked after as opposed to treated um, as a stereotype. Is it a, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, and it, this sort of comes back a little bit to the quote where it's about we need to how we need to improve ourselves as well because opportunities when we when we do these things we create opportunities because I do think that there are certain industries that do listen but we have to put ourselves there in order for the 
we have to articulate ourselves well enough and to be able to argue and know what we're doing and what we're asking for when we're going to these the, the power makers or shifters or whoever they may be. And when we're going into these forums, then it's 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 about trying to open up the doors for others and ourselves. And then improving ourselves in order to be able to be in a position where we're able to help others as well. So it does sort of reflect back, if you will, to what I was saying that we have to look within ourselves, the Malcolm X quote that I mentioned before. So it, it is it is it is important that we do have that, that representation and understanding as well, because one of the things that don't want is somebody like you say tokenism where somebody comes in and does something and we don't want somebody who's a token black person we want somebody to understand the journey and know the journey and understand the community we that they are working with one of the things that i found was interesting with regards to the the recent pandemic covid we had a number of uh, black doctors having these um, events talking about the suspicion and if there's any uh, suspicion let's try and get over that and let's uh, discuss what are your problems, why you're not going to take the vaccine and stuff like that. I think there was valid arguments as to why people didn't want to take, take, the, take the vaccine. But I never saw this outcome of uh, black doctors and black professionals when it comes to sickle cell, when it comes to the prostate cancer, other areas where the black community are specifically affected. So it worries me that the government's rolling out these black individuals to sort of appease the black community. However, they've not done that before for other in issues which are specifically and acute for the black community. So it, it, that's why it's important that uh, we do have the opportunity for black representations, but there must be somebody who comes from the community and understands the journey as well. Okay. Well, yeah, that's a very good point there. So a lot of the time, what if we're saying, okay, we're underrepresented, but then of course, when we do have someone in a position where they can represent us, we're suddenly suspicious of them. So this is a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But it's interesting that you say that. And I think that is definitely something we need to address. We need to look into that. So, so that's a great point there, thank you. Um, okay, so coming back to the actual solutions of this focus group or the you know, solutions that have come from the report and the exploration over that period that led to this report. Do you feel that any, any real sort of um, identifiable changes are going to come around because of it? Or do you just feel that it was enough to be heard? I think it definitely was enough to be heard because they've all fought before it. And, you know, speaking with them, they're all my peers, you know, and it was good talking to them, but I never got to see this side of them. And I never knew some of the journeys that some of them had really gone through. I mean, it was really, really, it was difficult because it was really heavy listening to what their, what their journeys are. And, you know, they, 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 if you'd see on the picture, all of them are beaming smiles, but they've got some serious baggage, a lot of them. And there's individuals that wasn't even there that I could have interviewed that they just, they just didn't want to go there. So that it was good for me to be able to open up the door for them to be able to express themselves. So that was good in that respect. Going forward, What's been really good, and I think unique to Lancashire or Preston, if you will, is that the, the diversity team at the NHS, which was one of the organisations we first approached, they're just basically saying, what do you need from us? What can you do? What can we do for you? Because I presented this to them and they listened and they understood and they took it on board and they're like, because one of the things is that they're trying to address with regards to there's a high uh, mortality rate in uh, black women when giving birth as well. 
that's another thing that they're trying to address with Impressive, which is another group that's doing that. But they did listen to us and they're willing to do a lot of changes. So there are changes. After this, I set up a group to have just an open forum for the guys to come and speak to me if they want. And, you know, we just had taboo subjects, if you will, and we just go over those. But also the NHS are looking for me to sort of form a group. And there we would be the sort of community organisation that they would reach out to and maybe work with when it comes to working with black people and mental health, in particular black men in mental health. So it's there and it's on the table and they have sort of uh, received it. They've, they're willing to listen and accommodate and make changes where and if necessary. They've taken on board some of the things as well in terms of there's that representation. They, are, they have taken on board, so they are, have got a recruitment drive as well. And they share that with me and I should disseminate that within the community as well. So, yeah, they are making changes, the NHS here in Preston specifically, or Lancashire teaching hospitals. Okay, that's brilliant. I actually was not expecting that answer, so I'm, I'm very pleasantly surprised. So that's great, and I'm so happy to hear good news for a change. <laughs> so um, now I'm going to be real because at the same time, I don't want to talk about negative. If somebody's doing something good, I'll respect that. And I think Preston is quite unique. We have a good council leader here in Preston, not an MP, a good council leader who touches base with all of the communities. And we're not talking about just coming and sitting in the, in the black church or just coming or going to a, an Asian festival or something like that. He gets involved. He really does. I even think he likes reggae, so I give him respect to that, though. But still, <laughs> <laughs> he's good. No, he's good. And he goes out of his way, and I respect him for it. I do. We've got a black councillor in Preston who's more reluctant to engage with the black community than the white councillor. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, OK, now that's a great point right there, because I, I was also going to ask about with representation, there's an, an suspicion, which I wasn't really going to go into, but very briefly, when we have we have this idea that I, I think that when when a black person gets into a particular position, whether it be, you know, a, a nurse or a doctor in a hospital or anything that a uniform, a black policeman or in this case, a counsellor or an MP, that if they show that they're giving uh, special treatment to the black community, that they won't be respected by, you know, the the other communities, most especially the, the white people in, in the higher positions and whatever organization they're in so quite often they will and I, I I may be speaking out of turn but I've heard this so many times of lived experiences that they'll they'll feel that they experienced harsher treatment from the black person in that position than they would have if it had been a white person now I don't know if you've heard this happen and if you have why do you think that is <laughs> Well, you touch on something that actually happened to me. That exact thing happened to me. There's people who are better placed to become counsellors in my town. And I was thinking to myself that you go for it, this person go for it. My peers, a lot of them that are probably in a better position to do it. I said to them to go for it. And they were saying to me, Ahmed, you're the best one for us. We want you to go for it because your character is kind of more respected in the person community than ours you know what I mean and so we want you to go for it so I said if you want me to go for it I'll go for it because you're saying that but I'll listen to you and I'll take on view on board your views and everything like that so I went for this position and when I went for this position I was going in hard and as I said it straight I'm going in 
because I, I don't think there's only there's no black councillors and I'm going to represent the black council but also youth youth is my thing regardless of colour or anything like that I'll always look to advocate for the young people as well and we have issues with regards to the young people not having any place to go so I thought that would have been a, a hot ticket in order for me to get in or something like that I went in and they literally closed ranks around me and it was like I was going for a position in an area and you have a white councillor and the other councillor who was potentially going to be ousted if I had beaten and they just colluded to just make sure I didn't get in there they called their friends they called family come and vote and after I did it I thought a quite a good speech they these guys have never voted for ages these guys but they come out the woodwork to ensure that I didn't get that position so I felt that that wasn't because it was all friends and who you know and they had a black council when I say he was a dual heritage councillor who's never really been in touch with the community he actually I'm not going to say but he's not really been in touch with the community and people don't people don't really know him but because the white councillors preferred him they tried to ensure that he stayed in even though he lost his seat in another area they ensured that I didn't get in and kept the white councillor there and this would have been an opportunity for them to have an African-Caribbean councillor who was relatively respected within the community here in Preston. And they decided against it. So they went for the tokenism. Now, the council leader who I mentioned earlier, Ron, who I said I really had a lot of respect for, he is hands are tied, but he's also good friends with the other councillor who was ousted as well. But he would have been happy to have me on board because he's, he's like that. But this is where I saw to myself, I thought to myself, well, if anybody wants to go in and they want to do a lot of work in terms of supporting the, specifically the black community and working with the white community, not that as though we wouldn't, we just want to get in and they would be, they would collude and close ranks to ensure that that candidate wouldn't get in. So I've, I'm considering whether I want to go for it again or give it up and I could just throw stones from the inside, from the outside. <laughs> so yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing that story. That These types of narratives are very, very important. And this is one of the reasons, um, I mean, I truly believe in, in transparency. And I mean, we all talk about it, but then it's actually very hard to practice. And so when you do come across the few people that really put their, you know, their selves on the line in order to tell the truth, uh, you can see that a mile off because it's so rare in politics. And, um, and of course, I mean, there's politics in everything. So it's wonderful to hear somebody like you speaking in this way. And so I truly hope you do run again. And you'll have my support. So, you know, so, so good luck with that. And I'm sorry, but we've actually run out of time. Um, there's so much more to say. I feel like we've only literally just opened the door on this subject. But I hope you feel it was worth the, the conversation still. Anytime. I think I'd love to have gone deeper into some of them things. But I understand time is an offense. We can do this again at another time. That'll be wonderful. Okay. And so um, I would ask any links that you would like to share, which I will place along with this output. And if there are any topics specifically that you, like you said, that you had wanted to go deeper into, we'll create a list of talking points and I'll place them alongside this, um, this particular episode so that we can ignite that discussion and and see where it takes us from there but in the meantime I thank you so much for your time and open-heartedness thank you no problem thank you very much